Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Source Radio. The following show is scheduled for one fall with a one-hour time limit. Introducing your host from parts unknown. He is the best radio announcer there is, the best radio announcer there was, and the best radio announcer there ever will be, Rodney Dion. Welcome. Yeah, Wrestling Source Radio, as part of the Wrestling Source Bottle, which you can find on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even on TikTok now. Yeah, trying to keep up with it, uh, posting little videos and memes, or memes on there. Yeah. And just so we're clear, Rodney Dion, it is a gimmick name. How's that for a peek behind the curtain? And this episode is all about peeking behind the curtain, as I play for you the uncut, uncensored, full-length interview I did with Sean Oliver of Kayfabe Commentaries and Kayfabe Podcast fame. Play a little bit of this interview on my radio show, Wrestling Source Radio, at Coast FM 963 in Australia, on the Central Coast, if you're interested. Couldn't play the whole thing because, you know, there were some swears, some adult content or adult humour, I guess you could say. And also, a lot of insider baseball terminology, obviously, in regards to wrestling. I live for a day where we could use wrestling terminology in everyday life. Like, you know, that didn't get over with the boss, so I'm going to have to do the job. Just things like that. And, of course, we talk about Batista's dick, and uh, that wouldn't have really played out too well uh, with my station manager and program convener. Probably would have been booted off the air. But without further ado... The full, unedited, uncut interview with Sean Oliver of Kayfabe Commentaries and Kayfabe Podcast. Enjoy. Wrestling Source Radio. Hello, Down Under. Does everyone say that from the US when they go on your show? Hello, Down Under. Uh, down Under. Oh, no, I think you're the first, actually, so uh, you, can, uh, you can credit yourself for that, I guess. I guess. Uh, that makes me feel like a, like, uh, like a pioneer in a way. Absolutely. Or is it uh, sort of one of those older guys trying to be hip with the young kids? I find myself that's uh, happening. You know, when I sit down with a young crowd, I get the chair, I turn it around and kind of put my arms on the back and being like, so what's the lingo you kids are using nowadays? Yeah, it's definitely that for me now that I think about it, because uh, I may, you know, you make noise. That's the gauge I use for how old you truly are. Forget about numbers. How much noise do you make upon standing from a seated position? Mm-hmm. The, That's the more the more noise you make, yeah, that that does something to your mean age. Are you, are you talking about like a like getting up from like a, a sitting position, a, like? A, oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah. yes, exactly that. Or it, even better when you can do it in the middle of a sentence, like. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you, Joel. And everyone goes, well, "What is he taking <laughs> one right there in the chair?" Uh, well, I have to thank you uh, straight up uh, for agreeing to uh, speak with me because I do know uh, you spoke to a jabroni uh, such as myself uh, not too long ago and you got some uh, quote-unquote heat with Van Piero, but all seems to be good in the world as he's now appearing on your show. Yeah, it's all good with Vamp. I was on this. I was on a, an overseas show once mm-hmm. again over there in across the pond, the other pond, uh, in, uh, in Ireland, and he um, – I guess we were talking. I really, I didn't even remember when this thing popped up on Twitter. I had to go find it. I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, we were, I guess, talking about Vamp. And listen, Vampiro tells some very entertaining stories. 
I don't care whether they're true or not. That I'm not in the business of truth. Mm-hmm. I'm in the business of entertainment. Absolutely. And wrestlers, uh, on average, are very entertaining. So I'm not going to ever sit there with a lie detector and, and risk the show going into the toilet. I, I want to hear that, you know, perhaps he was being followed by two Guatemalan spirits floating over his head because he was in a morgue when they were brought in. Listen, th- my show is the place to talk about that. Okay. Maybe there's no other outlet left these days. You can come here and talk about the Guatemalan spirits over your head. But what I said to Vam on Twitter, and then he's, he's appeared on my show. He'll be on, uh, I think that's going to air this week. I said, listen, we're talking about the Guatemalan spirits. You know we're going to have to uh, have a comical slant on this, right? You mm. have to expect this. But listen, the thing is five years old, maybe four years old. They're still talking about it. It's a win. It's a win. I mean, uh, I uh, have Vampira in at least my top five of guys I'd like to sit down and just have a beer with, just whether it be for, I guess, how real he comes off or just for his bullshit that he can come out of his mouth. And I say bullshit is a good way because my uh, dad would always use the uh, the bullshit uh, quote from the Blues Brothers. I didn't lie to you. I just bullshitted to you. He goes, right. lies, lies hurt people. Bullshit hurt no one. Um, it, just know if you do sit down and have a beer with Vamp that you're you're paying three times what you're expecting because the Guatemalan spirits are with him. So <laughs> when the yeah, bill comes yeah. at the end, it's going to be times three. Yeah. Now, but um, he was uh, recently on an interview. Um, the name eludes me uh, who that was with, but um, he kind of did this uh, interesting uh, shoot non-shoot serious but not serious promo on Chris Jericho essentially challenging him to a match because obviously the Canadian rivalry they've, they've had some history whether it be in Mexico in the past uh, I mean I don't think that would ever happen but I mean uh, as a wrestling fan I'm all here for it I talked to him about it because I, I saw that that thing and so I, I asked him I said is this I mean are you, are you just looking for a rub what, what is this as do you have heat I mean is there legit heat here and he said no he said he looks at his career he looks at Jericho's career, and he thinks that there's a point in time, which is, I guess now, mm-hmm. that they should they should do something for the fans. So I think he started calling him out as like a poser or something. I guess like in the rock world, because you know he's a musician and, yeah. and Jericho musician. So, so you know he started throwing the poser around. You know, very 1984 Motley Crue, you know, or or mm-hmm. 79 Dead Kennedys, if that makes me any cooler, uh, with the. Uh, with the rock and roll crowd, but uh, yeah, Jericho's a poser, and so I don't know what's gonna come of this. What could come of this? Are you saying that you're possibly being worked in a work shoot uh, world that is professional wrestling? Well, that's the thing now, and it, and it, it's it's so interesting. What is a work now, and what is a shoot? Mm-hmm. So let's say. I'm on your show, and I think I should have a match with, well, it wouldn't be realistic that Chris Jericho would ever get in the ring with me. Let's say I feel I should have a match with Conrad Thompson, okay? Mm-hmm. So I start sitting here calling Conrad Thompson a poser and that he should have a match with me. Now, when I go on another podcast tomorrow and they ask me about it, I go, yeah, you know, I was just thinking I haven't worked with him yet and I should have a match with him. So, you know, I'm going to start making cheeseburger jokes and and calling Conrad a poser. So like on the one podcast, it seems like it might be a little shooty, you know, Mm. and then and then when we talk about it outside of the context of that show, but in the public, in the same freaking public eye that my my uh, promo that I cut on him was aired the same people in the in the span of a week are going to see me call him out 
and then talk about my logical reasons for calling him out at this point in time in my career. So I don't know. What, is it a shoot? Is it a work? Does it matter? Well, all I really got from that is that uh, we're going to have to have a uh, podcast off with uh, Conrad Thompson and Sean Oliver. But, uh, Sean, you're indeed to wrestling fans as, uh, I guess, one of the innovators of the wrestling shooter interview. I mean, what made you uh, – I mean, because you, you're, you're an actor, author. You've got some, some great credits to your name. What made you want to, I guess, venture into the underbelly that is professional wrestling? I was just a wrestling fan and – my business partner Anthony, we were just talking one one day and uh, one night, and he said, "You know, the only thing that hasn't been done is alternate commentary commentary tracks for wrestling matches, similar to like a uh, a DVD where the director has an alternate commentary track going over the movie, um, saying, oh, here we used a crane for this shot, and here the fake blood didn't uh, burst, or the uh, squib didn't burst, and you know that kind of gave." seeing a movie you've seen 50 times, a new perspective. Yeah. So imagine doing that for a wrestling match and giving that a new perspective, getting the talent in to talk over the match in real time. And that's what we did. That was our first project, our first product, thus the commentaries and kayfabe commentaries. They were downloadable audio commentary tracks for classic wrestling matches. Now for a minute, Joel and everyone else, please imagine trying to explain what a downloadable commentary track for a classic wrestling match is to the layperson or for anyone in wrestling. No, we knew what the hell we were doing. People that heard them and bought them liked them. It was too new. It was different. And people just couldn't figure it out. So I said pretty quickly, we've got to go into video. The shoot interview market is established already. We can just step into it. And my background in, in production and Anthony's also, we knew that we would instantly be able to become a contender because we had ideas for programming. Nobody was doing anything with programming. The shoot interview was just kind of there for like 15 years of the, that head on the platter, you know, you, you mm. just a close up of the face with a bunch of questions. So nobody had done anything from, from a programming standpoint. So we decided uh, to, to apply uh, format to the shoot interview concept. And we did guest booker first. And then we came out with the you shoot concept where fans conduct the entire interview. So you want to shoot on someone, you want to ask someone to marry you, whatever you want to do, we will give you, uh, unencumbered access to the talent. And you know, the, it works the other way too. We're going to let them say whatever they want about you. So, and that was it. And, and we were off and running and, and we were, um, discovered by the passionate internet wrestling community rather quickly. And I think that's what sets uh, kayfabe commentaries apart, the actual production value. You know, you've got like a, a mini set there, a backdrop, as opposed to, as you said, the platter on the head, you know, just a close-up and some guy in the background being like, uh, so when you worked with Flair, um, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, what, what was that like? Yeah. It, um, it was um, like that Saturday Night Live skit, right? The, um, the fan... Uh, fanboy who sits next to like Robert De Niro and goes, remember that part raging bull where you <laughs> punched him. That was cool. Um, yeah. Well, t- listen, production was vastly important to us. I mean, that was one of the few places that we could certainly differentiate. You know, anytime you have a new product in a market that exists already, you have to ask yourself, how are we going to be different? So, mm. you know, if you're going to put soda out there and you want to be on the shelf next to Coca-Cola, you better be do, be doing something very different um, and more than just in the marketing. The product has to be very different. So we knew that production was a, a no-brainer, uh, sticklers for for a professional production. I mean, I had been on professional uh, sets, obviously, for years. So um, I knew what they had to look like. I know what they had to move like. Uh, how we handled talent, I, I don't know what the other guys did. 
the other production companies, but I knew that they needed to feel special when they were with us. It, it just helps lower someone's guard. So finding out in advance what their preferences are for food uh, or beverages and, and having it provided and, um, and just making sure any of their comforts are, are, are handled. That goes such a long way. Like I knew those instinctively from doing from years of doing uh, work. So that was going to be a no brainer. Then it was the content. We wanted to put a lot of time and effort into the content. People were already asking these guys about their careers. We wanted to write programming that allowed them to show their strengths as a booker, uh, tell entertaining stories at, uh, in timeline so that you could go down uh, the history of a federation and have the, you know, some of the better storytellers and more prominent people in the company uh, take, take you with them through the years. Then you shoot. We wanted the lightning rods of the business, the people like Honky Tonk and, and, uh, and, and Shiki and, and all those guys, Sandman guys that weren't afraid to say what they thought. So if you gave fans protected access, like, you know, through the comfort of a TV set, what would they really say uh, mm. to, to Sandman or new Jack? And then boy, wouldn't it be entertaining watching them reply. So that was, yeah, th those were the differentiating factors. We knew it had to look different. We knew it had to sound different. We were going to cut them. They were going to be edited. Uh, they were going to, they were going to multi-camera setups uh, down the road uh, up front. We were using a single camera setup to DV tape, but then we started shooting digital. Actually, no, we were still doing DV tape. I think when we did multi-camera, but we knew the visual and audio aspect of the product had to be top notch it's it's a basic respect for your viewer if you give them that respect they will appreciate it whether they realize it or not they will appreciate it whether they, whether they think the program is great or not they can hear it and see it and you guys got a i mean a great reputation obviously within uh, i guess the wrestling shoot industry if there's such a thing or just with uh you know people being released from wrestling or just the old school timers so much so a uh, great reputation that the legendary bruno san martino told wwe to get stuff that have been booked by this guy in new jersey sean oliver uh during wrestlemania weekend when he was getting inducted into the hall of fame yeah that was more i think that was more bruno just being of a of a different generation but also being of of a remarkable character mm. we'd had him booked uh, before he was going into the hall of fame, but I knew it was in the works. I knew they were talking about it and I knew he was going to accept it and I knew it was going to be announced. So we had to get it fast. So the people I was working with Bruno's people, uh, who kind of tipped me off to this, uh, we'd set the date and it was going to be great. And I, we commissioned an artist to do original, uh, paintings of Bruno to, to commemorate. This was going to be the biggest timeline we'd done, you know? So, mm. So we were ready for it, and then there was a there was a, a confusion, a mix-up, and we were going to lose the date. I mean, we were there to shoot it, and we were going to lose the date. And Bruno shook my hand, and he said, I will make good on this. You guys, I'll take you out to Pittsburgh. My friend owns a TV studio. We'll do it out there. Don't worry about it. You'll have the show. And he shook my hand. Uh, there was a time issue, and we weren't going to have time to shoot the show. So we parted. I saw he was coming back into town about six months later. I talked to him on the telephone and he had already been announced for WWE. So I didn't know uh, what was going to happen. I, I knew they would kibosh. I know that I know that when you do that deal with WWE for the Hall of Fame or whatever, they want you to run all the bookings through them. So this was a booking he already had. And he called me and said, just to let you know, 
They wanted me to cancel this. They were asking me how much, and I just want to let you know, I told them about double what you're really paying me so that they would so that they were prepared to buy out the date from him he was so shrewd about it he knew they were asking like oh what's what's this guy from new jersey that you want to be so honorable to what's he paying you and he knew if he said the number was too high they'd go okay just do that date and then uh that'll be it and that's exactly what happened he told them the number and that he was not going to cancel the date because he shook my hand in new jersey and he came and he did it I don't know another wrestler that would do that. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was remarkable, but I never forgot it. It was it, it's uh, it's one of the moments for, for all the long nights and 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 you know and Buff Bagwell stories. Mm. There is uh, there is that Bruno story that I hold close to my heart. You uh, touch on old Buff there. I was going to say, with every diamond uh, comes some stones, obviously, in regards to uh, talent. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, he's actually going to be in town, I think, next month for his Dirty Little Secrets tour. Uh, you guys had to part ways pretty much uh, before the red light came on and he was sitting down in the chair. Obviously, some difference of opinions on what he would not would not talk about. Well, the intriguing thing, I should tell you, is that it, it was after the red light. And so it's all on tape. <laughs> Someday we'll do the we'll do the uh, you know the Casey you shouldn't see uh. video, but uh, we have it. It's it's uh, incredibly uncomfortable, but we have it. The whole thing. Uh, he uh, we sat down to talk, and it was an episode of Breaking Kayfabe where we talk about the person behind the worker. And this was a booking we made through not an agent. We made it through through DDP. He was with DDP at the time. He was cleaning up and Dallas brokered the whole thing and I guess didn't tell him the details. So we sat down to talk and he goes, uh, uh, just so you know, I'm not talking about my family. I said, mm. well, there goes the next two hours of plans I had. Mm. Um I said, I did, Jake, this isn't about the DDT. And I tried to explain it to him. And I, 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 for a long time, I said, Jake, come outside. I just wanted to engender a trust. I didn't know if it was because he thought I was going to be, I, I don't know, take him down dark places. I guess that's where the show would have gone. But I wanted him to trust me. I said, Jake, come outside. Mm. Let's take a rep break. Come, just come talk to me. And he, he wouldn't come out. He said, no, not doing it, not doing it. And eventually I said, all right, well, you can, you can drop the money right on the table. And when you do, I'll have a car ready for you. And that was it. And it, it sucked. And I called there were Dallas from phone rings, you know, 20 minutes after he's like, what happened? I said, um, he didn't want to talk to me. I said, uh, did you tell him everything that the show's about and what, you know, what I said? And he, Dallas was like, I don't know. I might've forgot. How's that? <laughs> might've forgotten. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not being skeptical, skeptical of that, but I don't know how, um, open uh jake roberts will be uh in front of a, a live crowd i mean it would be more i guess funny stories of being on tour as opposed to uh diving into i guess the the dark time so to speak it would have been such a great show though i, I it's one of the ones i wish we had i like look we lost the buff show everyone's read about that in my book we lost that show but uh it was a timeline and you know, you can plug anybody that was working at, at, you know, near the top of the card that year into that year's particular timeline. But, the, but the Jake Roberts breaking kayfabe would have been, would have been, I think uh, there would have been some depth to that, mm. but I understand why he said, no, he wasn't being a jerk to me. He had just gone into DDP style recovery, let's call it. And uh, part of it was just like, 
there were things he couldn't experience again. There were things he couldn't talk about again. There were places he couldn't go in an effort to stay sober. And God, I understand that. I just wish somebody would have told me that before he came in or just say, all right, listen, when you don't mind talking about the, the dark days, then then come back. All right, it's uh, it's pitch time. Uh, prior to uh, this recording, I did send you uh, some two interesting pitches, um, memes as the kids call them nowadays. There you are. There's some lingo for you, Sean. Um, look, the, okay, so pitch one. I, um, I'm going to help try to paint a picture, these pitches. So uh, one, I want to get Sean Oliver down under, whether, uh, you know, to do a tour uh, or just get you down under, check out the place. Have you have you been in Australia before? Quick, quick. I, I haven't. I haven't. Well, you'd love to be in Australia. I, I mean, I, I haven't heard, I haven't spoke to any American who hasn't said, you know what? I don't think I want to go to Australia. Okay. <laughs> Done. There you go. Done. All right. Uh, so pitch one. All right, I used to pick from uh, a movie, The Judge, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duval, I think it is, or William Duval. Um, anyway, it's the trial of Vince Russo, and I've superimposed both your faces on there. Uh, the trial of Vince Russo. So essentially, the trial of Vince Russo down under. The audience is the judge, jury, and executioner. You're the host, I guess, voice of reason, and potentially the representation for one Vince Russo. And Vince Russo is on trial for his quote-unquote so-called crimes against professional wrestling. And, I mean, not your usual type of sit-down, ask a few questions with the audience or, you know, talk about storylines or whatever. This is an actual trial. I guess you, if we could gimmick up some form of a, a stand or something along that uh, line, um, you know, right. you can include you can a little bit of uh, – you know, pre-recorded uh, questions from uh, wrestlers back overseas or some uh, KC uh, content. Um, We're undergoing an impeachment trial of our president in this yeah. country. Yeah. I think they call him the president. I'm not sure what he is. But um, he maybe we could follow, like, every night when their coverage ends, when all the news outlets finish their live coverage of the impeachment trial, this can come on the TV. And just in unison – Every television set can go off at the same time. The minute the trial of Vince Russo pops up, for God's sakes. Go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. No, but that was essentially uh, – that was the pitch. Um, would uh, the likes of yourself or Vince Russo, would you, you buy it or is it a sell? You know, I, I, I don't think the topic is relevant anymore. Okay. I think you'd have to do the trial of Vampiro or or uh, and uh, Chris Jericho maybe or something. I don't know how many people – it's just I don't know what would be new about any Vince Russo, Jim Cornette, because um, Cor Cornette's in one of these photos you sent me, right? He's standing on Correct. a on a desk uh, or floating above it, actually. I see now, <laughs> but uh, but I don't I don't know that it has any uh, any entertainment value anymore. What's left to be said? Vince Russo's take is you know, the, the money and the ratings that he garnered and the opposing side is, well, ratings and money aside, uh, the content hurt the business long-term. And those are the two, those are the two political parties at work there. Uh, it's like a fish arguing with a horse that, you know, having gills in being living in water is better than having oxygen. Who's going to win? 
Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that one's dead. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll quickly recover. But no, um, the second picture of was Jim Cornette. He's actually, um, there's a scaffold um, across the top of the picture, and he's uh, obviously the famous uh, thing. In oh, he's dangling the, from the yeah. Okay, the scaffold, and, and then he lands right into the chair next to Sean Oliver to do uh, a classic uh, shoot interview. Because you have to admit, you and Jim, uh, you guys. You guys create great music together when, uh, you know, you do content, yeah? And I just thought... Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I feel um, while maybe certain topics or maybe you could argue the individual may not be as relevant, um, say, as 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think there's definitely an audience in Australia that would uh, pay money um, for you guys to shoot the shit, uh, you know, about the wrestling business and just to hear Corny go on one of his rants. I think uh, there would there'd be a potential market for it. I think you could do more of a, you know, like a, like, you know, like a you shoot or like, you know, even it's just audience asking questions. But I think the great thing about Jim Cornette is whatever your opinion may be of him is he's a, he's a good storyteller as well as like, you know, especially being – in the situation as it's happening, whether it be, you know, Ring of Honor, uh, WWE, WCW, NWA. I mean, it's just so, so much rich, rich history and stories to be told. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, Corny, we, we had a saying here at KC. It's, it, we were eventually going to get to a DVD called Corny Reads the Phone Book. <laughs> and, and and he just opens any random page and is like, Martha's fucking laundry cleaning. She'll clean any goddamn thing you have. Grandpa's underwear down to his filthy socks. You know, it, it really would have been entertaining. So you, you could have done it. You, you could have realistically done it. And and Corny was that kind of star for us. We first put him on Guest Booker back in 2009. And it was like Kismet. He had done some shoot interviews, but he was largely off the grid. He would do appearances and whatnot. But when we got together, um, giving him the right forum, which certainly was guest booker. And I think he and I had an, an interesting thing that emerged. It, it caught on like wildfire and people couldn't get enough. And, and Corny became the shoot guy. I mean, he became like the face of the, of the shoot interview. Mm. As much as as I had as a host, so it was really great. And from that came his his podcast. I mean, it's no secret. So I tell Jim anytime you are ready to come on Sean Oliver's Kayfabe podcast, available on all podcast platforms, and thank me, I will graciously accept. And just a quick background on that picture. I know uh, Jim Cornette is a. Uh, uh, a big fan of Donald Trump. Um, I was looking for uh, pictures of people holding up their hands, and guess who I could only find holding up their hands? Is that who you superimposed his face on in the I Photoshop? I sure did. Don't ever tell him that. He could never come on the show. <laughs> um, this, yes. This yeah. podcasting thing is grueling. I, I just got to tell you, this is grueling. How do you do this all the time? Uh, well, you see, I kind of alternate mine with um, a radio show here in Australia on the Central Coast, and it's on fortnightly. So as opposed to doing a weekly, it's a fortnightly uh, show, which sort of gives you that gap to to prep, I guess, or to figure out what the hell you're going to talk about and, I guess, find talent such as yourself who agrees to be be on the show. Maybe Maybe a fortnightly podcast. But the problem is, though consistency is uh, key with podcasting and there's such a thing as podcast burnout. I mean, uh, the amounts that uh, don't get past the seventh episode. Um, it's consistency, but obviously uh, you would know this for sure, actually finding content or someone that people want to hear talk. 
Yeah, I mean, I I I was I had Raven on a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about. You know, he, he was podcasting and I'm podcasting and we were talking about our special powers. Like, what are our superpowers? Mm. Like, why does some and I think it's uh, I use superpowers as it's kind of a funny term. But the reason someone's going to buy you, we talked about differentiating factors before in business, right, with Coca-Cola. But if someone's going to buy you, listen to your podcast, read your book, it's going to be because of your superpower. What are you delivering that that other mortals can't? And so I think. I don't know. I think my superpower is the ability to sit with someone and evoke from them things that are perhaps unexpected and certainly entertaining for the listener. So, I mean, I've been doing that at kayfabe commentaries for 12 years, so it would stand to reason that if I sat and did a podcast with a guest then i'd be able to present them in an interesting light talk about some different stuff and uh, it doesn't have to be wrestling related i you know i've gone off that path a few times and i'd like to more and more um but just the just the pro i think it really feels it really feels like i'm a lunatic talking to myself and no one hears it and then i i, I go and i do it several times you know, days a week to cut together these shows. And I, it's a weird cycle. It, it's completely disconnected from the world. Very much like writing was you sit down, you, you're banging stuff out on your keyboard and working things out. And for months and months, you're crafting this thing. And then you're dealing with production and, and, uh, things like typeface and paper and, and, uh, d- d- color of paper and size and, and the, artwork and then it comes out and it's gone i mean it's out it's available but it it, like it leaves you and you know you hope it does well you you can check some star ratings every once in a while and you get your checks every month but it's weird it's like you there's no immediate feedback when i'm sitting there at kayfabe commentaries hosting a show I have a talent next to me. Either they get intrigued by one of my questions or they laugh. There's something funny. The guys on the set, uh, if something funny happens, I can hear them laugh. There's that immediate reaction. When you do a book and a podcast, you just put, you, 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 you vomit stuff out Mm. and, and it feels like it hits the wall and runs down and that's the end of it. But I guess people are listening. I have these analytic things that say thousands and thousands of people are listening. So, you just it's just weird to be so disconnected that that there's there's no reaction bro sean oliver's ratings through the roof bro yeah that means you want russo back on don't you yeah um i was gonna quickly say um I, I mean, just from, you know, trolling social media, uh, we, you were hesitant to do a podcast initially because I think a lot of fans were like, hey, do a podcast, do a podcast. And uh, I'm not sure what your exact replies were, but there was a, you were a bit hesitant, correct? Well, here's the thing. People have been saying that for a long time. And I always said what I said with anything, even a show with KC, we would never put something into production unless it was it could be something that wasn't done before. So any shows that we talked about doing at KC that were somewhat reminiscent of something someone else was doing in, in the shoot market, we didn't do it. We need a real clear point of view to market the thing. And so yeah. people would say to me, do a podcast, do a podcast. I'd interviewed wrestlers for, you know, for 12 years. What, what, what am I going to do? I don't want to do a timeline type podcast. Everybody else is doing these like raw coverage or what? Oh God, I couldn't imagine that should be like a punishment for a traffic violation to host a raw coverage show. Um, but 
I, I didn't want to do what was already being done. So it, this was going to be a solo project, you know, outside of the purview of kayfabe commentary. So I had to think about not just wrestling. I don't always want to talk about wrestling. What are the things that I thought would be entertaining? And if the featured segment every week could be about something that, yeah, we're going to have wrestlers on, but we have other people too. Things that you're not supposed to hear. It's the whole, it's, it's what the shoot interview was based on. And that word kayfabe, the shoot interview drew the curtain back and showed us things that as kids, we were protected from the illusion of professional wrestling, right? So what we did, we were the guys that let you inside to see. So I wanted that to be the heart of the show. So we've talked to, um, we've talked to wrestlers. And again, I, I want to have a particular point of view. I want to draw the most interesting things about that particular wrestler out. So I, I may not talk about their in-ring career at all. I personally don't feel that that's going to be the most important thing to draw out. The subtitle of the series is stories you're not supposed to hear. So we're going to go to places that fans maybe wouldn't expect that's the goal so yes i've had wrestlers on i've had the son of a cia assassin on um it, it's been uh it's been varied i've had uh, a, a marketing uh, a marketing guy who also has a kiss podcast but talking about the uh the marketing of podcasts from the inside and inside details about the band kiss i tried to get a little kiss in every show because it annoys people and that's all i need to see and i go with it and it's a uh, part of the uh, what's it the triad um, the oh, the yeah. horror movies Kiss wrestling the the undateable that was triad. it yeah. that was it the undateable triad right the the serial killers uh, the FBI determined that serial killers had what they called the homicidal triad when in children you saw a bedwetting animal torture and fire starting uh, that was the start of something really bad it was very consistent in a lot of serial killers that they interviewed and profiled so the undateable triad in high school the get no action triad in high school the meet Sally Palm and her five sisters every day action in high school was a definitely kiss um, uh, horror movies and professional wrestling. There is no woman alive that you would find at that time, age, you know, 16, 17, 18, who was hot and into those three things. A lot more likely now, but uh, back then I could imagine it would have been slim pickings. Um, I actually sent a picture to you, uh, a guy painted uh, his face in Kiss, had a Macho Man Randy Savage t-shirt and holding a DVD of Halloween from 1978. And I think... Uh, uh, you said, hey, well, at least someone's watching the show or listening to the show. or has Oh, been that, yeah, show. exactly. I think you were the one person that listened that week. <laughs> um, look, some rapid fire here, Sean. Um, what's it like to know that K-Fave uh, Commentaries has coined a term that will live on forever among wrestling fans and uh, to this day is uh, still unknown? How big is Batista's dick? My God, do I wish I could disown. You know what it was? It was a question on U-Shoot that was sent in by someone from the Figure Four Wrestling Board. And uh, it was it was so apropos of nothing we were going to be talking about with that guest. I don't know the first time it, it was asked. And that's um, that may shock people. I, there were people that our commandos were at one time so, <laughs> so fever pitch. I actually had someone come up to me and say, uh, you, you wore glasses for the Jerry Jarrett shoot and then never again. Why? And, uh, and I saw, actually I saw it posted somewhere 
before anyone asked me about it. And there was an entire an entire discussion of theories of why I wore glasses for the for the for the for the shoot. I don't I don't remember. I was probably out of contact. But so they're so uh, they're so ferocious and they're so uh, diligent. So someone out there must know the first time how big is Batista's dick was asked. But because I ask it, because I'm the person reading the fan's question, it's been, my face has become plastered on Batista's dick. I, I'm the, the, the face of it now, I guess, but it was, it's a fan question and it comes in, in different and creative ways for each episode of you shoot for years. And then it became funny. Like how could fans crowbar it in? They would begin this long dissertation about the Montreal screw job and what the ramifications were for future promoters and workers if nothing uh, was done and workers were allowed to forfeit the belt in such a way and uh, just as a question how big is Batista's dick like that kind of thing went on so then it became entertaining we were like well god it's 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 friggin funny you gotta put it in but uh, uh, I know I know Conrad Thompson uh, he every time there's an ask Bruce Pritchard uh, episode of something to wrestle with he would just he'll get it in there somehow but um, usually from a question from uh, one of the wrestling fans on Twitter. So it's uh, it lives on forever, and we have you to thank for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll take a bow. Uh, serious one here, uh, if we can be. Uh, you said you feel the U shoot or the episode with China left a little bit to be desired. I um, mean, not that we'll ever know now, unfortunately. Do you think Joni was secretly hoping and praying that she would get that call from WWE? Well, I think they're all hoping that, right? But she, at the time when we were doing the show, she had just signed up with uh, Vivid Video, the mm. the porn producers. So she, if that's if she thought that WWE was going to be the following call, uh, that that wouldn't that would have been foolish because with a publicly traded company like that, um, mm. they don't want to be in bed with with that type of no pun intended production company. So. Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm sure she would have loved it as all the workers do. They get so excited when that WWE money comes back a little bit. Um, but she, uh, I, I think it would have been foolhardy to think that, that it would have ever happened. I just think, I don't know what went on that day. I do. I can tell you that her flight was late. It was delayed. I think she sat on the tarmac in Los Angeles for like four hours because of a problem with the plane. Mm. Then she flew cross country, a six hour flight from California to New York. And then, you know, at 1230 a.m., gets shuttled into a room, you know, with my stupid ass sitting there ready to ask her poignant questions like, you know, how do you like one in both sides of you? Um <laughs> So, you know, I, I just don't think she was into it. I wish she yeah. could have turned it on a little bit. I got to say, the wrestlers, I talk about this in my wrestling books, too. These guys have what I call the performer's gene. I've seen mm -hmm. them in all different states. I've seen them at all different times of the day. I've had them have discussions with me that weren't pleasant 30 seconds before the camera went on. And bang, when that red light goes on, you never know. And I love them for it. And I will take all of the heat. I'll take all of the travel problems. I'll take all of the difficult talent. As long as when that red light goes on, the performer's gene kicks in. It did not kick in for Joni, um, as I had hoped. All right, uh, Sean Waltman was asked this question. Now it's your turn. Fuck, Mary kill. Kevin Nash, Sean Michaels, Scott Hall. Um, kill Scott. I'm going to go with uh, Waltman's answer on that. Um, 
Um, listen, the second part, it, it just becomes about bank bankroll. It, this mm. is the this is the secret to answering that question. You want an exclusive? Here's the exclusive on your show. What is this show called? Is it the Joel Show? What is this? A Joel Brown Show? What is this called? Uh, this is the Wrestling Source Radio. Of course it is. Yeah. So the Wrestling Source Radio, here we go. The kill is easy. You do that right away. You do the kill. Now you've got two things left. F, marry. Listen, you're doing the same with, with either one. The only difference is you're entitled to half the bankroll with the other one. So then it all becomes about bank. So it's Mary Nash and, and, uh, and uh, F. Waltman. No, it was uh, Sean Michaels. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, so uh, tell me the three against Scott, Michaels, and Nash. Correct. Oh, Michaels. Michaels is the money. You, you marry Michaels. <laughs> and have some fun with Kevin Nash. Um, have, a little, have a little fun with Kevin Nash. Of course. And um, is uh, Scott Hall working you when he did uh, his shoot interview about, hey, pal, my uh, envelope was a bit light. Do you reckon he was trying to work you to see if you would uh, run for more money, perhaps? Well, that doesn't happen with me. Uh, but uh, so he learned that rather quickly. But <laughs> no, I think that it's I think people are by nature difficult. And I, I don't know that it would have been a, the evening would have been complete without Scott complaining about something. And I mean, listen, when you talk about the envelope being light, this was a deal that was negotiated for him by Mr. Eric Sims. Uh, Eric swears up and down to this day. Scott knew every detail. So this was just him being a pain in the ass. And then he told me to hurry up because he wants to have sushi. And people are downstairs waiting to take him for sushi. I said, Scott, I'm, I'm about to launch a fucking show with you here. I'll get you sushi. You want sushi? I'll bring you sushi. Now, hurry up. Just make sure we're rolling, bro. It's taking a long time, and the envelope's light. The envelope's <laughs> light in a long time. I wanted to shove a, a goddamn shrimp uh, tempura roll up his ass. That's the uh, soundbite right there. Uh, same question. Fuck, Mary kill. Sonny, Terry Runnels, Missy Hyatt. Now, I'm, I'm going to predict this for you, and you can prove me wrong. I think that you would uh, kill Missy Hyatt, uh, fuck, Sonny, and marry Terry Runnels, because I think you and Terry, you guys have got great chemistry together. Yeah, I think you've done it for me accurately there. But, but uh, listen, on the F category... It's going to be a lot of wrapping around going on. A lot of protection. (laughs) All right. uh, Okay, this is the Rib Dynasty. Now, you can only choose one. If you could choose either one of these guys to do a shoot, a timeline, whatever. Owen Hart, Mr. Fuji, or Mr. Perfect? We play a rib on Mr. Perfect. By Mr. Fuji coming into the show after Mr. Perfect's booked, dressed as Owen Hart. <laughs> so that's a whole chicken or the egg scenario right there. Yeah. Oh God, any of them would have been great. That you know what the trio. That's the series called Ribs, where we eat the ribs. I talk about this in my book. They talk about failed Casey ideas. This one I I didn't like. This was Anthony's brainchild. But the best pranksters in the business sitting eating a sloppy gigantic plate of ribs while they talk about (laughs) ribs i guess in its simplicity there's beauty i just couldn't get my head around it god damn god damn i was trying to i was trying to do a jim connett there apologies oh i thought he was here it was so good i thought he was uh, on the line well, thank you. Uh, all right. So who is more likely to be a guest on Kayfabe podcast? Uh, Buff Bagwell, Jake Roberts, or Conan? Uh, any of them. I, w- I would work with that. I didn't do anything wrong. I'd work with every fucking one of them. They're the ones that are going to apologize to me. Yeah. So uh, you would give Conan another chance uh, to stand you up or take your money? 
I listen, I said it from the day it happened when I was calling him out for robbing us. I'll still do the show with the guy. He just, I mean, he's going to be, he's not going to be paid, but he, I would do the show. Mm. Why wouldn't I? He has a lot to offer. Absolutely. All right, Sean Oliver, it has been an absolute pleasure. I've taken about uh, close to an hour of your time, but um, this little segment we're going to call uh, is to get your shit in. Uh, plug all your stuff. I mean, you've got books. You've got, you're selling DVDs of the old uh, kayfabe stuff. You've got a podcast. The, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, God. I, I, I don't know what I am anymore. I don't know what I am anymore. I, I'm, I'm being pulled in too many different directions. If you like what you hear, you can find us on the Sean Oliver's Kayfabe podcast available on all platforms. And uh, I have six books out. If you like wrestling, there's a few about wrestling, including a bestseller. Can I brag about this? Can I Absolutely. say an Amazon bestseller? 19 yeah. months, almost number one on the Amazon bestseller list. It's called Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear from a pro wrestling production company owner. And then I have two follow-up books to that. And I also have three novels. If you enjoy the world of the supernatural and thrillers, I have three novels. And then listen, there's always Kayfabe commentaries. We have the KC Vault at kcvault.pivotchair.com where you can get all of our programming. I think that's it. Sean Oliver, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And um, when are we going to get you uh, down under with or with not Vince Russo or Jim Cornette or just a solo act perhaps? Perhaps we can get uh, the stories behind Kayfabe with Sean Oliver live and exclusive here in Australia perhaps. Well, listen, like the like the best adult film stars of old, I always say, it's got to look good and smell good to get my face down under. Wrestling Source Radio.